0: restaurant unstoppable episode 1006
1: with memphis garrett find a company that's that's growing fast and then that's a way that you're gonna have way more opportunity are you ready for it factors success stories failures and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge then, join Eric Cacciatore and in today's incredible guest as they share what
0: it takes to become unstoppable. Restaurants Unstoppable Network is coming back and we are stronger than ever before. So... During the pandemic, I started the network as a way to evolve and adapt. And when things opened back up, I was on the road again. That is my happy place, but there is value in the network, but I knew I couldn't be on the road and do the network at the same time. So I recruited Callan Miola to be our community manager and she is killing it. She is organizing things like I could never have done on my own. And we are getting After it. So, if you want to be a part of the conversation, the podcast is the leading edge. We're out there, we're turning over rocks, we're finding leads. The network is where we pull back the layers, we dive deep, but we connect our listeners to the tools, services, and organizations that are being referred to us organically. If you want to be in the network, act now because the first 50 people to sign up will get a free t-shirt head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is find the link or the banner in the show notes and you will get a 30-day trial to get into the network get a free shirt and if you opt into the one-year plan we will throw in a hat and a mug thank you in advance this episode is brought to you by restaurant systems pro and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot Outfit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com/rsp. That's rsp for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com/rsp. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, CEO and founder of Garrett Hospitality Group, Memphis Garrett. My what's man Memphis, uh, are you feeling unstoppable today. I'm feeling
1: you? unstoppable. Yes, I'm excited. Dude. The energy in this room is, you know, how can you not feel yeah. <laughs>
0: unstoppable with all the the craziness running around us right now? Just
1: it's, people it's, trying to sell us shit constantly.
0: Yep. <laughs> buy and sell. That's what's going on here. But you know, there are it, this place is cool in the sense that it's a it's a, a, a good place for people to be discovered. Yeah, you know, yeah. it gets a lot of amazing people into a very small geographical area and magic. I. I can't deny it must happen. Well, you think they know where we're at? Relationships?
1: What's that? (laughs) Do they know where we're at? I don't know. (laughs) The the, the, The the listeners? Oh, they know we're
0: at yeah. So they know we're at the (laughs) national restaurant show. Um, I've been promoting it. We, you're our last recording at the show, so okay. So the, they're well aware. The previous three episodes <laughs> yeah. have been in the same environment with the same background noise, and uh, uh, there's some cool stuff happening here. But we're here to talk about you, yeah. your story, how you got to where you are today, and I cannot wait to dive into it. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us?
1: Okay, so I'm gonna go to you know our uh, the king himself, uh, Anthony Bourdain, with. The body is not a temple; it is an amusement park. The body and is not Enjoy the ride. So, why is that your quote? Why is so? That- for me, it's you know this this industry, and when you own your own company and you work in this industry, it can be so stressful, so encompassing, and you know makes you question what you do. And I have to continue to wake up every day and say and take advantage of what we do, meaning meeting new people hosting people and providing this like badass service you know to people to, to be an to experience so my point by that quote is just basically like being like dude enjoy the fucking ride man yeah. like why like i could easily wake up every day and just let it eat me inside you know and just stress the fuck out and just be be like that and i think you have to continue to say like i love what i do i enjoy it so much and it's all based on you know the people that that you know we're providing that service for you know know what i mean it's
0: it's crazy how stressed out we get when we have big projects i mean whether it's a big catering event or vip coming in or some i don't know writer coming in like we get so stressed out yeah and at the end of the day it's like why yeah. You know, like w- like when you're in it, it's never as bad <laughs> as enough. you anticipate it being. Yeah, and we just we like ch- just choose. It's literally a decision. It's a choice. Yeah, choose to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, right. So I, you know, Bourdain. You know, I'm sure as most of the listeners, you know, there's just special special place in everyone's heart for that guy and like what he was able to open the doors up and let you see into to the world. Uh, but yeah, I just think, man, you got to enjoy this ride. Enjoy the life. So when I get stressed out, I still just have to think about where I came from, what I've created and and just know that like, you know, someone make me a cocktail. <laughs> let me try some badass food and just really appreciate the process. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know,
0: awesome. And great way to get this thing started. So in my research, getting ready for today's conversation, uh, it looked like the way what I was reading was positioned that you you were I'm not sure what you were doing before Big Brother, (laughs) but it sounds like you had like an epiphany after Big Brother and you wanted to go all in in the hospitality industry. Well,
1: yeah. So, you know, the story goes like this. My mom was a bartender at a place called Whaler's Catch in Paducah, Kentucky, where I was born. So I basically grew up at the end of the bar, you know, at six years old, eating fried shrimp and, and Shirley Temple's. And that's really what started me, I think, on the path of like the hospitality hospitality mindset. So for me, that's where it was at. I I was in hospitality basically my whole life, you know, from being a, a, a you know a prep cook at Chili's to being a bar back at places I uh, in college at Florida State where I went. Um, and and then I got the chance to go on Big Brother, and that was kind of like how long ago was that? Two thousand ten. So the first season I was on was two thousand 2009 and when i got off the show i got second place i got off the show and then i was like all right now it was kind of refocused me when you got locked yourself i was 25
0: 25 something like that what
1: were you doing before that i was a mixologist okay so i was you know working in the industry but i think that time away because it's like it's like going to jail on tv i mean it's really jacked up they literally lock you in a house for for 90 days um, so it gives you a lot of like you can be very aware of what's going on around you. You got internal looking at yourself. What do at you, least is
0: co-ed jail?
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so it gave me that time to really sit in my thoughts and say, okay, you know, let's take this to the next level. And I got off the show, and I was like, I was really just focused on my career. That's it, and and that's what I did. So I was working for a company based in LA called SBE. They own brands like Katsuya, Hyde, uh, the Bazaar. Um, A bunch of different stuff. But so I was able to just work my way up with that company. And I worked for them for 12 years, man. Yeah.
0: yeah. I have to ask. We're not going to sit here and talk about Big Brother the entire time. (laughs) But what was your strategy going into that?
1: Oh, man. The first time I went on the strategy was very like there was no strategy. It was like, where am I? What am I doing? What the hell is going on? And my strategy the first time was just basically be myself and win people over. So become people's friends where they didn't want to kick you out of the house, but don't be a threat either.
0: I've thought sometimes... The reason why I'm asking because as a hospitality person, somebody who grew up in restaurants, yeah. who was working at bartending and knows hospitality, I feel like you could... Like using what we know to be true about hospitality, how to win friends and influence people, right? But just being like, if you went into that show just generally, just trying to be the guy who makes everyone happy (laughs) and like literally wakes up and cooks breakfast and like serves people, and just like, no, this is what I like to do. Yeah, yeah. like that would be. I wonder what the strategy uh, that would
1: work. Well, there there were a couple. Seasons where they were like chefs. Like yeah. they had chefs on there. And that was definitely like their strategy where they would cook all the meals. And But I think it's deeper than that. I mean, I think you really, like you have to be a genuine person. And I think that goes a long way. People know, you know, they can see through that shit. So for me, I was just like, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to become friends with everyone here and see if I can make it to the end. And that's really... And then the second time when I went back for All-Stars two years ago is when... I went in with a lot, like <laughs> a plan, like a better strategy. So, and that strategy was a lot of different alliances, you know, doubling down, really looking towards the end of the game, more like a chess, you know, chess game rather than a checkers game, which I think You're I played. Thinking
0: like, where, the, who, where is the strength in this room? Who's going to go a long way? And yeah. how can I hitch, hitch my wagon to them? kind of sounds like business
1: yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i think there's a lot of there's a lot of things that come out when you play that game that have a lot to do with your personality have a lot to do with your business savviness and i think if you look at it like that you probably can look back and see the successful people on that show are probably very successful you know in business yeah. or their careers or whatever right. so right definitely definitely it so know.
0: you you get out you, you second place um did, did having your name, your being associated with Big Brother, especially going back 14 years ago, and I feel like Big Brother was kind of a bigger deal than it
1: is now. Yeah, yeah, um, probably. Um, did you think that helped your career? I don't think so. I, <laughs> I don't know to be honest with you. I think you know I had to prove myself a little bit harder because some people were like, "Oh, he's just a reality TV guy." Yeah,
0: they're just using your fame. Yeah, to... and I think
1: that was something that I had to kind of get over. What and, was that like? I. I it wasn't bad. I mean, I just think I got, I got passed over job after job. Like there were a lot of times where I didn't get the job that I wanted that I was applying for and trying to move up. And I don't know if it had anything to do with the TV aspect that I was on, but or maybe I was just a young kid and I didn't know I shouldn't have had that job anyway, you know. And I kind of took it like that where you know, you live and learn and you continue to grow and learn. And my my whole goal was to always open my own restaurants. So for me, when I worked for another company, I wasn't in any hurry to get out of working for that company. I was there with the mindset of, hey, I'm going to learn every position. I'm going to learn everything I need to know. And I'm going to ask as many questions as I humanly can. And I did that over 12 years. <laughs> and,
0: and eventually, you found SBE, uh, hospitality. You were there for over 12 years. Yeah. Um, what did they see in you? Like, Why did they give you an opportunity where others wouldn't?
1: I don't know man. I, I was I was when I got interviewed there I had to sit I sat in an office for like eight hours and basically I basically waited to the end of the day for someone to actually <laughs> come talk to me and offer me a job and I got that job and it was a it was a busser. I mean that that's literally how I started and and I was willing and able and a lot of, you know, there were times where I remember my old boss, who was my mentor for a really long time, like he, he told me this like years after it happened. I was like, hey, I want to be a manager. Like, I'm already this mixologist, I work at one of the clubs. And I was like, I really want to step up into a def- different role and learn. And they basically, <laughs> him and his boss basically offered me a job at like so, like $40,000 $40, a year. And he's like, well, this is what you would be making. And I was making more as a mixologist in L.A., like a lot more. Oh, yeah. At least so, sure. <laughs> so I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> and they were like, they were shocked. So it turns out like two years later, we we're at Thanksgiving together. And they actually told me they were like, we actually told you that number thinking that you weren't going to take the job because we didn't want you to take the job. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god!
0: But that kind of—I
1: mean—a good thing it did work out because they
0: immediately started from like what I understand. Like, what it was like you tell the story? I don't want to tell it for you.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it. It was the what I always tell people when I speak to kids in college and especially at hospitality schools is like find a company that's that's growing fast. Yes, and then that's a way that you're going to have way more opportunity than a company that's been around for years. It's really hard to work up the ladder. There's people been there for 20 years. So it's like. That's tough, man. I mean, you can work, you know, your whole career and not get the opportunity. If you're working with a fast-growing company, the chances of you being able to go and grow quickly are, are so much higher. I was able to do it because I kept getting passed over for a job. Like i was like, oh, I want this. I want that. Turns out, I finally like got the GM roles because. They just would go back and say, Well, fuck, or, at least we trust Memphis. <laughs> like, it was well, that's more a like. a big part of it yeah, is trust. Yeah. You
0: know, like, it's not rocket science what we're doing here in the industry. There are yeah. technical aspects of it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to underplay the people with skilled set, you know, like chefs or. For sure. Not everybody sure. can do yeah. that. Not, every, not everybody can be a mixologist yeah. to, to have that level of motor skill and memory and just like finesse and yeah. like social intelligence and emotional intelligence. Not everybody walks around with those suites of tools. Yeah. But at the same time, like really at the end of the day, it's about relationships. For sure. And having people you can trust and having people who you know you can lean on. And yeah. like if you if you're simply that, there's opportunity for you in this industry.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was just a matter of time and putting in the work and, and learning it and ultimately just earning everyone's trust above me so I could continue to grow and take on more responsibility. How long did
0: it take you to earn that trust?
1: I mean, I probably worked. It was probably a good two to two two to three years before I really got the opportunity to uh, get in a larger role. You know, as like a more of a general manager. You know, where they say, "Okay, here you go. Here's your venue. Uh, make it make sense." What advice know?
0: do you have on creating or getting people to trust you?
1: Man, I mean, that's a Big Brother question too. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think for me, it, it probably just becomes you know i'm i'm just a genuine person so for me my personality um you know i can talk to anyone so i think for me it's just being very real and i think that's a way where people can know that like hey you know you can trust me but yeah. dude, we have that issue i mean right now it's like i have to really work on my staff and my executive team to trust me also because they think I'm insane. I think half the time, not not because I act crazy, but like I have big aspirations. I, have, you know, we've opened we opened three venues in the past uh, fourteen months, and we have three more going to open by the end That's of the crazy. year. So yeah. like, our growth is huge. And like, sometimes my my team's like, you <laughs> you're out of your mind. Like, this is a lot. Yeah. And so I think it's like there is something there where like you know, and I the team that I have now, they do trust me, and they trust that I'm making the right decisions in the path of the company. Um, but, but that takes time, too. You know what I mean? So it almost goes both ways. It's not It's, it's, not, only, a yeah, it's not only like, do I trust my, my team? It's like, do they trust me? Right. Right? So it's definitely a give and take. And that's something that we're, we're continuing to work on, especially with all the growth. Because for me, I like to talk about the growth, especially when I'm hiring people, um, because I want people that see the opportunity and say, hey... This is a company that's growing fast, like what we were talking about before. I could really do something really cool here. You know, I could be impactful, which I think is cool. There's another
0: variable to being on a team that's growing fast. And uh, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but like, how many restaurants have you opened?
1: I've opened 55 venues in my career. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But like, what's the
0: benefit of opening restaurants for other people?
1: I mean the benefit for me when I was doing that was learning learning learning. learning. So for me I always think like Sam Nazarian is the guy that I worked for for so long, the owner of SPE, you know, I I'm very ADD, ADHD, all that jazz. Like that that is <laughs> I'm well aware of that. You're preaching to the choir. And I, and 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 I use it as a superpower for me because I can do 57 things at the same time, you know, I'm I'm very good at that and I've learned to be able to use it in my favor. So I started opening three to four venues a year for them. Wow. Like I was literally just going, uh, getting it operating, training the staff, training the managers, and then on to the next one. Um, everywhere from Miami to Vegas to L.A. And now that I have my own company, I'm kind of on that same kind of like rhythm. Like where it's it's like, hey, this makes sense. If we're growing, let's go. Let's ride the wave because the momentum's there right now for us. For Garrett Hospitality, I mean, we have the momentum. We have the deals. We have deals. I, I stopped going after deals and just kind of took a step back and let's see what comes to us. And that's kind of where it shifted over the past year, even, where we stopped being aggressively looking, but sit back and see who wants to come to us and see what, what we,
0: happens when you make that shift. Why do you think that happened?
1: I, 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 made it ha- I basically made the decision to do that because I found myself pushing a little too hard to get deals. Or so maybe I was, you know, balking on something or agreeing to something in a in a lease term or an operating agreement that I normally wouldn't. And because I really wanted that deal. And you know, in my career, it's it's bit me in the ass. So I kind of like took a step back and I was like, look, I'm gonna kind of refocus my energy to let's see what's out there. Let's show people the venues that we have And they should speak for themselves. Exactly. You know,
0: I can get behind that. I mean, your work will speak for yourself when if you're doing the job well, then the opportunities will knock down your door.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And I I wasn't thinking that three, four years ago. I didn't have that mindset. Yeah. So it's interesting now that we're looking at this and, and now that. We're getting into the hotel space now. We, we have a lot of deals on the table where we're putting our venues inside hotels. We're taking over food and beverage outlets in hotels. We're providing all the F&B for boutique hotels around the country. And it's, it's the direction that I'm taking the company. But the way that I step back, and, and like you said, like I would have people come into the venues that we have in Fort Lauderdale, and they're like, oh, this is awesome. Even our one here in Chicago deals are coming out of those venues because people see what we're capable of, and then basically they're like, oh, I, have, I own this hotel in Memphis. This is literally what happened. So a buddy of mine that I met, he had a friend. He lives here in Chicago. He's dining at Lady May, my restaurant here. I meet him, start talking to him. He's like, dude, you know I own a hotel in Memphis on Main Street, like right next to the Civil Rights Museum. We're looking for a food and beverage like person to come in and do an, do an outlet there. And we literally signed the deal a week ago. So it's weird how you know, showing what well, you said, showing people what you're capable of, yeah. and then it just kind of happens. Yeah,
0: yeah, and it gets to the point where you can't accept. You have to start turning. It's weird. It, it, we think, have like early in your career. I think the the goal. I hear. I'm constantly hearing yeah. two countering pieces of advice, and the most common is say yes to everything and say no to everything. It's like which which one is
1: it? Okay, so <laughs> I've get, I've gotten really good at saying no, and my business coach even says the same thing. He's yeah. like Memphis, dude. He's like you have got to learn how to say no better and he's like it's a, it's it's a tactic you know it's like you got to learn that and it, i've been getting better at it and and it, it's not just on deals it's everything right so like when people at you know when people hey i want to have a meeting about this sorry i can't no most of the time i used to take every meeting because i like to meet people and you know yeah why not and yeah. you never know what could be the outcome but right. but as life gets busier more venues you have to be able to manage your time to a, to the, so it makes more sense. So, like for me, it's just like saying no to those meetings if you know that, like, hey, you just don't have the time to do it. Because I used to just say yes, 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 yes. Now I can't, I can't get anything I done. Think both best.
0: concepts are right. Both ideas, say yeah. yes and say no, are or, are or, or right. But it, it's the there's a different variable. It's like there's another variable. It's like at what point of your life? Early in your life, yes. say yes to everything because you're trying to figure out what it is you want to do for the rest of your life. Yeah, maybe so it's like, a
1: timing thing. So there's like a yeah, yeah. just say <laughs> yes
0: and like figure it out. But as eventually, as you figure out your lane and your your purpose and your like whatever it is you're meant to do, yeah, you need to start focusing your yeses to the things that make sense. Like a Venn diagram. Like yeah. is this yes aligned with what I'm trying to do? Is this going to move me and my business forward or is this going to prevent us from doing what we want to do? Yeah. So you, uh, I think it's one of those things that's like the answer is yes, but like over time you have to get more selective. Yeah, and I think start as your no. career, yeah, yeah. I think
1: as your career, career progresses, there is probably a moment yeah. where Start saying no more, start saying, you know, or maybe be more selective in what you say yes to and maybe a little bit more thoughtful in what you're meeting about. What is the actual, you know? Yeah. I don't like to really look at it as like, oh, what can they do for me in that mindset? But there is some kind of theory behind that where it's like, hey. Does this meeting make sense or does it align?
0: Well, another thing I love is everything you say yes to is something else you have to say no to uh, uh. So, like, so be mindful of what you're saying yes to. Cause you might limit your, cause you can only do so much. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you, if it's, if another thing I've heard that I love too, if it's not a fuck, yeah, it's a hell no. Uh,
1: that's true. <laughs> that, that's a good one too. Yeah. And I think that the excitement behind yeah. that, I think goes a long way. And I think I'm full of these one line. Yeah. it's, it's a thousand <laughs> episodes. No, it's interesting. It's like, uh, there is, like, this element where I said no to this hotel deal in Miami and South Beach. And it's happened, like, it was so quick. It just... It didn't make sense. I didn't I didn't like it. I didn't have a good feeling. It just went with my gut. And sure as shit, man, two days later, like, another hotel came on with these other owners that we really like. And, like, it just made so much more sense. And it's just, like, I wouldn't... It's weird. If I would have took the first hotel, deal, I wouldn't have even looked at the second yeah. one.
0: So... Traditionally here at restaurant stoppable, I try to stay pretty glued to the timeline. It's just kinda in my mind how yeah. <laughs> I can like organize everything. But I've gotten some constructive criticism recently that like people start going down a path and I pull them off of it uh. <laughs> because I want to stay to the, the timeline. I think you need
1: to have the you have to go timeline, otherwise you're gonna get lost. But
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little uh, creative here and I'm gonna try to I'm gonna respect the timeline, okay. but we're gonna get into the future. Okay. So we're gonna get into a current time because you're 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 talking about hotels, right? Yeah. Um why why hotels? What and what approach is it a management deal? Is it like what what is what is the, the the structure of that? So what is the benefit of
1: What we're seeing hotel owners or what I'm seeing in my life right now, hotel owners looking for more of a partnership rather than a management deal. Got it. So kind of what we're seeing a lot of, and, and we're going to the table with a lot of these these hoteliers that basically, they don't want to do a management deal. They've been burned in the past. There's always someone better. It's a constant like give and take. What and is they, a
0: management deal? A management
1: deal basically yeah. means that the hotel in the ownership of the hotel that owns the asset are putting up all the money to run the operation, all the food and beverage. Now, these hoteliers they'll basically hire a management company to come in and they will manage the F&B outlets in their hotel and take a fee. So, all of the expenses, everything's still owned and operated by the hotel, but you have a company that would come in and manage those properties. Some hotels run their own food and beverage. A majority of hotels do not. They bring in an outside company. So, what we're seeing now, especially with a lot of boutique hotels from 70 to 150 keys, you're seeing owners getting more creative in their approach in their food and beverage outlet. So the deal, I'll, I'll tell you the deal we just did um, down in Miami. We are basically a, a rent percentage on the F&B and we run the food and beverage of the whole property. So when we do extremely well, the owner makes more money, period. And so that's the structure that we have. But we own all the, we, we operate it like, a, like it's our own. Because it like, is our own. Why do you like
0: that that model?
1: I like that model because with a management deal, say we say we got that same deal with a management deal. I'm making say five percent top line and a kicker on the bottom. Okay, that's great, but the hotel has the upper hand. If they, you know, if something goes down that you know you, the relationship gets severed, they can easily just kick you out. So. And you don't own in the brand. You don't own anything. You're just you just basically an operator for someone else. So what we've been able to do is basically take our brands and put them in hotels. So we own the brand. We basically, it's almost like a licensing lease deal where we take our brand, we put it in a hotel, we operate it, and we don't take a fee because yeah. we, we make the profits. Yeah. But the landlord and the owner of the hotel makes a guaranteed money. So it's less risk on their end. Where did right. you learn
0: about this this approach?
1: It actually just kind of came up with some of these owners. It wasn't a matter of of me coming up with it. It was just like we would sit in a round table and talk about, "Hey, what does this make sense? Does this make sense? Like how how what is the future of of boutique hotels with food and beverage outlets look like?" Yeah. And I think this is what it's going to start to look like. Look, for us it's beneficial. We have great brands. Like I got, I'm getting into the hotel space when it comes to food and beverage because I want to get into hotels. Meaning every brand that I own, whether it be Point Break, Lady May, No Man's Land, Yamas and Whaler's Catch are all built from a brand status to be hotels. So when you go into Lady May in Chicago, you will literally like that place could be a hotel. So the branding, everything, it could totally be a hotel. So that's what we're trying to do. So yeah, <laughs>
0: Fred's trying to wrangle the 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 wild folks over here. We are sharing space right yeah, now. No, yeah. you're fine. You guys do what you got to do. We're we're in your space. Keep going,
1: <laughs> sell away. So the hotel stuff is interesting because so as we're building a new brand, we keep all that in mind. Like yeah. I want to be able. to... So no man's land is what we're doing in Miami. My goal is to do a no man's land hotel.
0: Yeah, dude. Have you ever thought about doing a podcast? <laughs> we should talk after. I have some ideas. Uh, so. Just echo the, the, the model one more time because okay. I,
1: like, I want to make sure I hear it yeah. correctly. Okay. So this is something that we came up with, and we're doing it for our deal in Memphis, Tennessee, and we're doing it for our deal in Miami. And we're seeing a lot of owners of hotels just getting more creative, and this is how it works. So basically, it almost – so say you have a common space. You have a pool. You have in-room dining. You have a lobby bar. You have a front terrace patio. You need to provide a three meal a day, right? For breakfast, lunch, dinner. What we do is a little bit over the top, you know, super super high end cocktail lounge. Um, We'll do like sexy, you know, live music at the, you know, late late at nights on the weekends. So really creating a vibe and creating an energy and creating our brand inside a hotel. So the deal points go like this: instead of it being a management deal, instead of it being a straight lease where we're just paying the hotel we do a lease percentage meaning it basically has benchmark so if the venue does a small flat flat rate and then as soon as you hit 1.5 million rent goes to 8%
0: so the rent increases
1: as your cash flow increases yes. and you just have to know that break that break break point so basically look i have no problem paying a high percentage rent if we're doing, you know, six, seven million dollars out of, you know, a, a small space because You're, it's there. Yeah. And the fixed costs start to stay the same. And that flow through on your EBITDA is great. So it all that's fine. And look, it's a partnership. So this is where the thing this is why the idea just doesn't work. It's a great idea because what you are seeing in the past with management deals with owners and operators is the relationship gets severed? It's kind of a pull, push, pull. Like you, you, you know, because they want to, they want to make a great restaurant, but then they have a hard time, uh, you know, dealing with the with the guests of the hotel. So if you make the deal, that's very more like we're all in it together. If the rest, if the hotel's full, then my restaurant's going to be full. Yeah. So I'm willing to bend a little bit more. Yep. For them,
0: and I think you're right. I think the future of hospitality in general is in partnerships. Yeah. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think that in the world where it's getting harder and harder to find talent, how do you attract the talent onto yourself? You offer, you give more. Yeah, And one way we can give more up front is equity in the business or yeah. i don't know that's not exactly your model but it's it's more of a partnership it's yeah. more of a win-win situation it's more of transparency and being open and honest and vulnerable and finding the right people and not just screwing the first person that comes across your. yeah you
1: know, your, your, i mean i think i think the landscape of hospitality when it comes to staffing is in a huge shift and you probably know this and i'm sure a lot of your guests talk about this but like it's shifting completely. Where it's going, I'm not 100 percent sure. To be honest with you, well, there's a lot of robots out there. There's a lot of AI out there,
0: and I think it's a very interesting time. I don't have the answers either, yeah. but it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun well. I
1: think it's just as an owner operator, I think it's just being fluid and and coming up with creative ways to make sure you take care of the people that work for you and pull them, in, whether it be a profit, you know, profit share type kind of situation. I have no problem with all that stuff. We're looking at that stuff with some of our topic, our top, you know, um, leadership team right now because, you know, if they can make the business money, then they should make some of that money. Yeah. I don't have any problem with that.
0: I mean, it's, you're paying them one way or another. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's coming from somewhere, and people like to know that their name is on. The door, or they want to know they're going to show up differently when they have stake in the game. Yeah, uh, and I know that complicates things. Partnerships complicates things. I get that side of it too. Yeah, but don't be an asshole, <laughs> and don't don't work with assholes. You know, and like I think that's where vulnerability comes. And like you know, I don't know. Maybe it's it's also not that simple. I get it.
1: No, yeah. I mean, there's a lot, and I think you know every. I'll tell you this though. Every city's very different when it comes to staff. And you know, I remember when I was in Vegas. I mean, talk about some of the best. So some of the top tier operations staff, barbacks, busser, it didn't matter, man. They just you know, they have some rock stars out in Vegas for sure. Yeah,
0: right. It's it's every market's not the same for Yeah, sure. no. College totally towns?
1: Different. Yeah. Like, good luck. <laughs>
0: right. Uh, okay. So Back to your timeline. Um, so you're working for SBE Hospitality. You're, you're traveling the country. You're opening restaurants, and the, the game of opening restaurants is not the game of running restaurants. Yeah. So I think if you really want to be a restaurant tour, you got to go work for a company like SBE Hospitality that's growing fast, so you can go out there and be a part of a, the opening team, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe. And there's so many. There's so many different technicians necessary in the restaurant industry. You got the chef. You got the the mixologist. You got the front of house. The operations person. But the the opening professional is something that's not spoken a lot about. The person that goes out in like, the culture carrier, the, yeah. the, the person that primes that that restaurant with the right culture and systems and goes on and does the next thing. I don't get to talk to a lot of people who, who spend a lot of their career doing that.
1: It's interesting because it's not – I always ask people, too, like people that I hire. I'm like, how many people – when I do orientation, I'm like, how many people here have ever opened a restaurant? And it's about half have been, in some capacity, a part of being in an opening team, whether they're a bus or server whatever. And I think it's really important because it is nine out out of ten times it's a shit show. Yeah. Meaning it... There's so many things that are going to happen. There's so many things that are going to go wrong. There's things that are going to go right. But you have to be very fluid. And even if the kitchen is on fucking fire, when you walk out of that door onto the floor, you got to act like you didn't just see the kitchen on fire.
0: Yeah, and it's controlled chaos. I mean, yeah. people are still forming their habits. No, like we have at this point, nobody. Like it's not automatic. It you have to be thinking about everything you're doing and being. Yeah, it's not as easy for sure. Well,
1: and you see, because look, at, you know, you can get a great architect, you can get all this stuff, but some things like when you put people in the venue and you put bodies in there and you start moving around and the, you have the flow of service and the and sometimes you don't know whether the flow of the guest, like you don't know is the bar going to get kind of packed on this side. You don't know where people. You're not really 100 percent sure. So when everyone kind of goes into the room and you kind of do that service. You start seeing things. I'll never forget, I opened a place, Hollywood and Vine, um, in L.A., and it was designed by Philippe Stark, one of the, like, most badass, you know, designers out there, and he he built a table in the middle of the room that was across, like this, and it took up the whole room. So, he won, like, an award for this place, by the way. It was called S-Bar, and uh, it's not open anymore, but he won an award for the design, But systematically, it made no fucking sense because you couldn't cross the room (laughs) to service. It was traffic is clockwise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, but again, it kind of goes back. Like it was an awesome design. It looked awesome, but when it really came to function, like it didn't make sense. So there's a lot of things like that when you're opening a place, you're seeing things that like you thought might work. Yeah, and then you know. So I always tell the staff that we bring on with these opening teams. I'm like, just be fluid. Don't stress out. Try not, you know just 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 be fluid and and it will all work out and we are going to use your knowledge and your guys' experience for this opening to tweak things and make things better. And, Any lessons in the early
0: days that we haven't talked about? Like oh. things from a like, key mentors, hard lessons, like fucking horrible failures, things that like you just fell on your face hard and you just came out of that experience better.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I've had some great I had some great mentors through SPE and guys that worked above me and around me. And I I think I really took advantage of of, of that. I had one guy, his name was Bruno Doyen, and rest in peace, Bruno. But he was a fucking rock star, and he was a savant when it came to ordering booze. He was a bar manager for SB in LA, and he was my mentor. I used to sit right next to him every night, closing out the nightclubs. And he was just a pro when it came to ordering, inventory, pricing, like just he had it down like he could literally tell you exactly how many point of sales you're going to need where they're going to go you know how many bartenders that are going to need to be on I mean it was just like he just had it ingrained in his brain but he was he he taught me so much like I can't even it's insane so there were there was a lot of that there and there was a camaraderie there where we were growing this company for Sam with Sam and everyone was kind of like on that path And the culture at that moment, like, it was insane, man. It was, like, some of the best shit.
0: So good and insane. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was just, I'd never seen, like, camaraderie like that outside of, like, my fucking fraternity house in (laughs) Florida State. Like, it was, like, it was that. It was just everyone is on a mission to make things better. And everyone was willing to work their ass off to get there. So that was a really cool thing to see and watch. And I don't know if it will ever be mimicked again you know i think it's kind of time and place people all these people now own their own places or they work they're super high up in bigger companies so i think it's always a that that's kind of the benchmark of like the goal right how do you create culture like that that we had in those moments in la that culture was was like is insane so what do you
0: know about creating that culture are you trying to recreate it have you had success
1: i think that's the goal is to recreate and that's the benchmark that i have of that time and place to kind of shoot for it's been difficult, man. I mean, I think
0: how long was SBE around before you joined, and that was at that point.
1: Three. That? I, when I started, they had three venues. When I left, they had one hundred and thirty-three. Wow. So, how many people? How the three venues when you started with them were were they around
0: for years or like a, like a couple years?
1: Yeah, I think uh, a few years. I think. Well, Hide on Sunset was like the original Hide, um, small little nightclub. Um, so that one's still around. Well, the brand's still around, but that club's not around. But, um, yeah, they were around for a couple years. And then, I mean, they're – in L.A. is a weird market, right? Like they, they, Things turn over very quickly. So you have a shelf life for a nightclub's about three years max. We end up closing it down and re- remodeling and calling it something else. And that's kind of like the business model there.
0: Well, I, I just the thought process I had was that it takes time to build a culture like that. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's having people that embody your core values, your vision, your mission to live it every day. And they carry that shit, you know, and they, and they inject it into other people. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, from what I can tell, your restaurant group has only been around since... 2021 cuz you had restaurants you started opening in 2016 but they aren't, yeah, associated with what you're doing now, right?
1: No, so I, I, the first restaurant that I did was 2000 on my own was 2016. That's 2016, when I created. The, the that's when I created the group. Yeah.
0: Okay, so it was okay. I was curious. Are those restaurants still going today? Yeah, there's
1: one. We rebranded. It's called Point Break. Now, Point Break. Got so. it. Got it.
0: So now is actually a great time to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to talk about uh, why you left SBE and uh, what your strategy was moving forward. Restaurant Unstoppable Network is back baby and we're better than ever before. We already have six live events in the works and we're just getting started. If you sign up for Restaurant Unstoppable Network right now you can be a part of these six live events. We have Casey Anton the author of Profit First for Restaurants talking about Profit First we have Christine Miles the author of What Is It Costing You Not to Listen and It's Costing You a Lot Tom Sterner the author of the practicing mind fully engaged and it's just a thought to help you get into that right that right mindset and to will your future into existence. We have Kathleen Wood, the woman behind one thing, who's helped so many of our past guests focus and channel their energy to doing one thing really well. We have Mike Payton, the former chief visionary officer or whatever title you want to call it, but he was the guy behind the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS, uh, the, the the Traction Library books. We're going to get him in the network to talk about EOS. And we have Dave Nitzel and Dave Domzalski, co-authors of The Bar Shift and Hospitality DNA, to talk about their findings in their most recent book, Hospitality DNA. We have a great lineup coming your way. And all you have to do is head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is. You'll find a link and a banner for RU Network. Click the link, get a 30-day no-strings-attached trial, and the first 50 people to sign up will get a free Restaurant Unstoppable t-shirt, and if you opt in to the annual plan, I'll throw in a Restaurant Unstoppable hat and a mug, but you got to act fast because these are going to go real quick, I have a feeling, and thank you for your support. We're back. So you were on Big Brother 2009. That was a year, 2010. You're committed. You're trying to find people. You're bussing tables. You're climbing the ladder. You are now went from busser to opening manager. Uh, and when did you... At what point are you like, I need to break off? And I think it's important to point out that you did, you did all these openings in five years.
1: Yeah, it was very... It was hectic and it was a it was a wave man and it was it was awesome. I loved every minute of it. I yeah. mean it was it, it, it was adrenaline all day long, oh, waking yeah. up working on new projects constantly, <laughs> working on multiple projects at the same time.
0: And the energy in an opening restaurant is special. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And it's very engulfing of your life. Like I mean it literally takes over your life, you know. So that's kind of like I opened the place on Mammoth Mountain in a ski resort, like it literally, you could ski up to the the bar. That's cool. And I lived there for three months. anybody
0: ever crash into the bar?
1: No, no, no. But they called. They literally, <laughs> I'll never forget this. We closed one of the clubs that I was running in L. A. And they called me and they're like, "Hey, we want you to pick twenty staff members, and I want we want you to take them to Hyde Mammoth Mountain and open a place and all live there for three months." We literally caravanned up. I was supposed to be the, like I was the manager. So I literally go up to Mammoth Mountain, like the resort, and we go and meet with the HR team there, and she hands me two keys, and she goes, here you go, this is where you guys are living. Two huge cat wood log cabins. Nice. And I called my boss, and I'm like, yo, you know there's bunk beds, and there's like, most of these people up here are girls, like, what, what the fuck, like, what do you want me to do about this, it seems. And they're like, it ain't on my, they literally said, they're like, well, that's their problem now, so you guys do whatever the fuck you want.
0: They're probably being the resort. Yeah,
1: yeah, because um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they weren't. We weren't technically employees of SB at that time. We were Got actually it. we were employees of the mountain, and needless to say, there was a lot of debauchery, and uh, it was a good fucking time. I'm sure. <laughs>
0: I don't even, we don't we don't need to get into the details of that. But maybe after over a beer, you can tell me some yeah, stories. Yeah. Uh, so when you leave. What are you thinking? Why did you leave? In my mind, I see a company... I'm not looking to speak ill of any organization or whatever. But you see a company that's growing so fast, opening. Why not grow with that company? Why not have that company invest in you and your visions and become a partner? Was that something... Are you considered or was yeah, it not yeah, on the I table?
1: Looked, I think when I left SP, it was, it was a big decision. You know, I'd been there for a really long time. I, You know, the company was still growing. There was a lot of opportunity continuing to be there. And I'll tell you, it was, It was. I had my son. So, my son, River, was born in 2015. Is this because of the resort? Um, just kidding. <laughs> I, I, oh, no, no, no. He was born in Vegas. Um, he... <laughs> So I had him and honestly, to that day, like after I had my son, it was always on my mind of, okay, I can continue to work for a company, I can continue to grow and make money, but I'm never going to get equity in this company, there's no way in hell. Um. So what am I building? What am I, you know, what am I building? What am I doing it for? So it was more or less that. I mean, I, I, I blame him. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I get it. I mean, your, your world changes when you have kids, yeah. the, the, your priorities change. And I think it's a testament to your values. Man. Yeah. You know?
1: So I, I mean, people thought I was kind of crazy because I literally just had a kid and I was quitting my job and I was raising capital to go out on my own. And like, they're like, you're out of your mind. Like you. <laughs> like you just had a kid. What are you doing? Yeah. But I never thought of it like that. I just thought of it as like it really sparked that that shift into my next kind of phase of my career and and we haven't looked back, man. So awesome. So w-
0: when you decided to break off on your own, what are you thinking? Why like why why Florida? Is that where you're? you're
1: your no, so we had moved to Florida with SBE because we, I was opening a couple of hotel projects for George Perez and Sam Nazarian. So I was living here opening a project for them. And to be honest, with you, I picked Fort Lauderdale to kind of like the base of the company, mainly because it has this certain uh, culture, the whole city that they support local operations. There's not a lot of chains chains there in downtown Fort Lauderdale. It's all like if you look at if you look at a map of 80% of the restaurants that are in Fort Lauderdale that are successful are all owned by local operators. So what I saw, I saw that and that made me think, wow, I got a whole new
0: respect for Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, That's there, my kind of city. Yeah,
1: there's yeah. something there. So I was like this, I feel like and I love Fort Lauderdale. I mean, we live by the beach. It's great. We're close to professional sports. It's like we got all the good. We're forty-five minutes from eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, forty-five a, minutes, eleven. What is that? I don't forty-five understand. minutes. My house is forty-five minutes from eleven. This strip club, nightclub oh. in Miami. Yeah, I don't know so the so reference. <laughs> okay, all right. People will know, but uh, no, it's uh, But no, we just like it. We love love the space, and I just think that it, that city provides that kind of local, you know, kind of feel. So, but now to try to do that, say here in Chicago and and in Memphis and as we grow to other cities, West Palm beach, Miami, it's, it's difficult because I get pulled, you know, in a lot of directions and I want to be in Chicago and I want to be here to show that like, Hey, this is our home too. Um, and kind of give that like local feel also, but you know, it's tough and I don't know, I don't really know the answer to that as growth happens. It's like, how the fuck do you do that? You know?
0: Did a whole episode <laughs> with somebody on how to scale culture.
1: Yeah, uh, so I'm gonna have to uh, listen to that. which episode was. Uh, it? That was. Oh man, it was
0: <laughs> Voodoo Donuts. Uh, I can't remember the episode number, uh, but I mean, at the, I'll tell you. i give you a little hint. At yeah, the, at the core of it, it, it's it's people. Yeah, it's uh it's developing people and. Taking the, whoever it is in your organization that is the embodiment of what you are and who you stand for, and you send them almost like a seed. Yeah. You know, you, you plant them in that new environment because they're carrying the culture with yeah. them. They're, yeah. they're recreating, just like your job as the, the restaurateur is to recreate yourself and others, to give them the skills, the knowledge, the values, the vision, the mission, and to buy in, to yeah. drink the Kool Aid. That person has to be you somewhere else.
1: Yeah, it's tough, man. It's I not mean, easy. Yeah, it's it probably time. yeah, it's probably one of the you know the hardest things that we're seeing now. Um, and we did. I mean, we we sent uh, our chef, our executive chef from Fort Lauderdale, now lives in Chicago. He's been with me for a few years, so we have him here, kind of leading that pack. Um, but again, as we grow into Memphis and other cities, it's it's just it is going to become more and more difficult. But you know, it's just part of the game, trying to figure it out. You know.
0: So when you open your first restaurant, it's the Pokey House. Yeah. Why pokey? This 2016 pokey, I think, is just starting to really yeah.
1: So catch we were the first the pokey restaurant in the state of Florida, wow. <laughs> which is pretty. Where get the inspiration? Uh, well, when I lived in LA, we would always go to Maui and go surf and like really like get pokey off the side of the road, like that was <laughs> the thing. And so when I was still living in LA, you kind of saw a couple spots pop open, but when I was living in, when I moved here from Las Vegas, I was like, there's not one restaurant. So I was like, there's definitely a market. This is the time to pop. It took a while. I mean, it took it took a year for that place to really get legs because it was a new kind of, you know, food for a lot of people.
0: What was the challenge for you being a first-time owner? I mean, you've opened like you said 40, 50 restaurants, yeah. but is it different doing it when it's
1: your Oh yeah. Man. What what was different? <laughs> well, you know, when you work for a big company, it's like, okay, if you want to go if you want to call about HR, or licensing or health department stuff or stuff anything that has to do with anything, Outside of your direct privy of being the manager or GM, I mean, there's a floor for it. Oh, call floor three. They'll handle that. You know what I mean? Like, and I think when you become every floor, all of a sudden it becomes very overwhelming. Right. And, but I looked at, cause I thought, man, I was like, oh, I've opened so many places. I, I, you know, I can easily do this. And yeah, I, I, it wasn't too difficult, but you learn really quick that, wow, you don't have this team of people that are going to provide your help. So you really have to become crafty, organized, and really like be able to go down it. I mean, it, it's even tough now. I mean, if you look at, we have five operating restaurants. We're opening three more right now. And it's it's a lot. I mean, even if you look at the licensing and keeping up to date on making sure things don't, don't run out and like... It's a it, there's a lot of little things that need to be done.
0: So what was your biggest challenge being a sole proprietor restaurant
1: <sighs> I mean, I think for that place In the early days. Yeah, but- I mean, I think for for pokey house, it was being patient and I've learned to be patient now, meaning when you open a place and it's not like there's not a line around the corner. It's like, that's OK. But in my mind, I, didn't, I wasn't sure if that was okay. I was like, oh, it needs to be slammed. It needs to be slammed. It's the only way it's going to work. And, and it's not necessarily true. So I've had to shift my thinking. But in the first, the first venue like there, that was my biggest concern. How do I be patient with the process? I had to educate people what poke was. People knew what sushi was, but people didn't understand, you know, this, right. this fair. So, like, we literally had to educate people. Hey, come in. Let us show you. Like, yeah. So it was it was a process to get to where we needed to be revenue wise. But what that taught me now, like, say, we'll talk about Chicago. Like, we opened in the winter. We've been open for a couple months. We're doing some uh, upper management shifting. We're looking for a new general manager. We're we're kind of changing some things around. But it's all good, you know what I mean? It's like it. It's we'll get there, and we'll get to where we need to be. Revenue. We we'll yeah. get. We're gonna launch brunch. We're gonna do the patio. We're gonna do all this other stuff that we're not do- doing yep. right now. Yep. But instead of me, you know, freaking out, stressing out, it's like just knowing that, like, look, all of these venues that I do, I mean, I signed twenty-year leases and stuff. Like right. this is a long-term play, and it's gonna take time. Yep. And I open every venue that I open to try to create a space that is and becomes iconic where my son is going to be able to go to this restaurant like there's there's a place in memphis called the rendezvous it's like world famous with ribs and stuff and my dad used to go there when he was 16 years old and we've grown up going there and we go when we go back home and like that's iconic, right? And that's like something that means a lot to me. So for me, it's like every venue I open, I put that mindset into like, look, this is a long play. I want to create something that kind of becomes that staple in a, in a city, whether it's a little bar or it's a huge restaurant, you know. So that's the mindset. So, it, man. so just patience and just knowing that like, hey, look, we're going to tweak here. We're going to tweak here. We're gonna fuck some shit up too, I'm sure. And <laughs> yeah, I think that's
0: one of the reasons why I like starting small and doing one thing really well. And I, I don't know how how big was your the the pokey It was small,
1: small. Like what 1600 is sixteen hundred square feet? Okay, yeah. doing a,
0: how many menu items did you have? Oh
1: uh, man, we probably had fifteen.
0: And how many of those? In, how many ingredients were in the same item? Like the we same probably unit?
1: had. 35 ingredients total yeah. for the whole place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you you were going
0: from opening these behemoth yeah. like concepts right and you took all that energy you narrowed it because you would because you, you get to focus your energy right yeah. to doing one thing really well. I think I also like how you talked about the importance of educating your staff uh, and, and the consumer and uh, it's not about how many people are like it's about repeat customers yeah yeah you know yeah. and 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 educating them and, and and giving them something that nobody else is doing and putting all that energy into one thing and and constantly growing every day and yeah um, you said something else that I, I wanted to talk about but I it totally lost. I lost it. It's hard to keep on, yeah. Keep everything in there while you're going. It's hard to. It's hard to listen and remember what you you want to say.
1: Uh, yeah, but but, go, but, ahead. but yeah. There's just there was a lot of you know lessons within that first one, but I think that was probably the biggest one. Patience, you, the patience. Yeah, about. patience. Like, That's what I wanted
0: to reflect on. Uh, I'm, I'm echoing Tom Wall, uh, Tom Sterner's work. a Recent guest on the show, author of uh, The Practicing Mind, Fully Engaged, and It's it Just a Thought. And this is what he talks about. Like when we when we first opened, we're like. Oh my God, where is everybody? Like, what's going to happen? And when you start small, it's easier for you to scale into that bigger thing. When you, when you, you have a longer runway when you're smaller, yeah. right? Think of like a like a Cessna 172 that only needs like 400 feet to take off. Yeah, right. A, a huge airliner needs thousands thousands of feet to take yeah. off. So the bigger the beast is, the more runway you need yeah. to to be able to to get going. So the runway can stay the same distance, but if you get a smaller plane, you know, like it, it's easier to get off the ground faster. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I just love and the that, idea of starting small. That
1: was probably my. I, I'm pretty sure that was pretty. Close to my mindset of like, hey, if I can do this, like, let's start with this one place, small footprint, not a crazy overhead, you know, it's fast, casual, it's quick service, it's it's all raw, so we're not cooking anything, right? So there's, you know, in my mind, I'm like, there's a lot less to fuck up. Right. <laughs> like, that was literally, like, yeah. my mindset. How can the service... Be, like they're building their own bowl. So they're getting walk through what to order. So we're not fucking that up. Like, right. you know, there's a lot you started of. started th- with the cash cow.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people get in trouble because they start with their bait, their vision, the thing, the, like their legacy. They start on day one chasing their legacy. Yeah. Thomas Keller didn't open the French Laundry. As, that wasn't his first restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, 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 he yeah. fell hard on his face a couple of times yeah. before he got yeah. to the French Laundry. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, just don't compare yourself to the top because yeah. they got there with persistence and time. Yeah. And that's how you'll get there. Yeah. Start where you can. Uh, so, And I think that's what you did. So, 2018, you opened your second propri- your propri- proprietary concept, JC and B Juice Bar, which is now Point Break?
1: No. So, JB and C. and C is still there. It's got a it. local local, sable smoothie, panini, you know, just beast in Flagler Village in Fort Lauderdale. I ended up selling that to my girlfriend when we broke up. Got so it. I sold my my partnership ownership over to her and it's still there. It's rocking, man. It's a great concept. So
0: So any lessons from that second concept that were new to you?
1: That place yeah, I'll tell you, I learned a lot when when I opened J B and C and I think one thing that I learned was like get creative with your build out, you know, there's ways to do it cheaper. There's always a way to do it cheaper. So with Pokey House, we spent a good amount of money on the build-out. We did, you know, we, we dumped some money into that place, and which is fine. But I think for a single owner, I was like, I need to get better at that. Yeah. I need to get clever. I need to I need to not – I'm not SBE, right? I'm not a billionaire. I'm not Sam Bazarian. So for me, it's like, how do we get creative? So that place taught me. And showed me that we could build a place out and actually do it for cheap. And I think, like, no bullshit. If I remember correctly, my math. I think we opened that that juice bar for seventy five thousand dollars. Seventy five thousand dollars. Show me where you got creative. <laughs> what were the
0: creative things you did? What, like, where, where did you choose to put your money? Where would you not? Where were you not
1: willing to put your money? I think. I think any, like, because I design all my own spaces too. I don't know if you knew that. So for me, I can look at a space and tell you what is impactful that we're going to spend money on and what's not impactful that the customer's just going to look through. So there's certain, like, vision points and angles where you're like, hey, if we do this bar, this is going to be the centerpiece. This type of bar, this color, this is what we're going to do. This chandelier, these chandeliers back here don't really matter. Make them cheaper. Find a better option. There's different elements. Flooring's a big deal for me. That I've learned that is not that big of a deal. <laughs> it's a big deal for me, or used to be, and no one gives a shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, we had
0: Stephanie Robson do a uh, business a business planning workshop. Uh, she was a professor for restaurant design interior and uh, uh-huh. kitchens uh, for Cornell University. She came. She did like this whole workshop. It nice. was awesome. Uh, but she talked about the the big areas plates. Tables, chairs, if you can get them used. Yeah. Like, and the other thing that people, she said, restaurant to spend way too much money on is the shelving. Uh-huh. Like, shelving should be cheap. Yeah. Don't go out and buy brand new shelves when you can, like, that stuff is yeah. abundant. Yeah. Or yeah. you can just, you can get creative with that stuff. Yeah. You can go get lumber and build shelves.
1: Yeah. Like, so what we did there at JB&C, we, we did that. We got creative. You know, we have a couple of staple pieces that we've, like got made this custom huge table in the middle we had a custom made uh, from a local vendor it was really cool and we bought old church pews out of this out of this old church that they're tearing down it's out there yeah know, they- and we got them and we whitewashed them painted them white and that was a majority of the seating at jb and c and it worked and we got we got little like um um i don't know we did we did like custom cushions on top or whatever but but yeah it, they're comfortable you know so that was something that we did and it just kind of opened my eyes to like get more creative in your approach when you're designing these places and you're spending the money
0: also yeah. like who else is going to have your church pew chairs <laughs> yeah no like, super just, unique yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah.
1: like when you take the time to,
0: the, to like to uh, almost forage yeah. you know scavenger hunt for these things it becomes fun there's a story behind it people yeah. love stories like hey this bench you're sitting on right now was actually like like yeah like church pews like for sure that's kind of fun and like fun to know, I don't I know we
1: know. do that a lot like at no man's land i had this thing where like i wanted to just have like antique silverware right not like expensive antique silverware but i wanted it to look old and i wanted it to look like used and so what I did was like, I said, fuck it. I just literally uh, went on Etsy and I bought used silverware <laughs> that, that was like from the 80s, 70s, like different eras. And it all looked a certain way. And, it, and we still have it today. So there's not a damn fork in that place that matches. But they're all fucking cool. But who really cares? <laughs> no. You know, like
0: all the shit that we spend so much money for traditionally on fine dining, like the white tablecloth, the, the you know, $100 a, a plate. You yeah. know
1: what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm a big component of all that. Like, kind of like, like at Yamas, we have 15 different chairs, dude. Right. They're, they all look this like similar style, yeah. but they're all different. Right. And it's great because if you need to buy new chairs and you're out of stock of the ones that you had, it's fine. No, no one's, one's going to notice your, the yeah. new one that
0: looks completely different.
1: So, there's little things like that that we've been doing a little bit more. Same thing with glassware. We try, as long as the ounces are the same and like the highball, which normally they are, I'm cool with having a couple different types of highball glasses. Like, it doesn't all have to look the same. I think it's more, it gives it more character, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so. Any other lessons from this concept before moving on to? No,
1: I think that's probably it. Which so, is probably one of the most important ones that I learned. What just just that that be, being a little bit more mindful and creative when it comes to budgets when you're building on a space, right? You know? Yeah, for sure. So, um, Del Mar,
0: or Dalmar, Dalmar,
1: Dalmar. Dalmar yeah. Thank you. Yeah, the Dalmar was a hotel that I got contracted to open. Food, all the food and beverage outlets. This is
0: 2019.
1: Yeah, so I did that project. I got contracted out, so I was that opening team. So I own Pokey House, I own JB and C, and then I did this like on top of that. So I worked on that project for over a year, and it was a beast, man. Five F and B outlets in one hotel, four hundred rooms. Um, very cool, very beautiful hotel by Jake Warzak, the Warzak family. Um, but yeah, great spots. I actually ended up ended up working with the roof. We did the rooftop with some partners that own Death and Co. and New York. So I was able to work with them to open a project called Sparrow on the Roof cocktail bar with them. So it was super cool. Got to know them really well. Great, great people.
0: So was this your first like a, a for what? What's the word I'm looking for? Contract or for what's the word for a way? I can't remember the word. I'm you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. Why do I always try to say the words? I know it's on the tip of my tongue, but yeah. I still try. Like maybe if I just try to say it, it will come out. Your first entry into management deals.
1: Yeah, it was similar. I mean, this was a, a, bl- a straight-up contract saying, hey, this is what you're getting hired to do. We need your expertise. This is what you've done over and over again. So come in do that. So I was an independent contractor. I came in. I hired all the staff, trained them, did the manual, like did the whole thing. So um, got it up and running, and then my contract was up. And do
0: you like management? I know you, we talked about partners and what, that's what you're doing now, but is there anything you don't like about management deals that you steer away from doing that now?
1: The contracting deals I don't do because now I just own too much stuff. Like I've got – my hands are too full and I'd obviously need to work on the stuff that I own rather than the stuff that some company is willing to pay me X amount of money to do it, right? But you still
0: don't – but you still are like if, – if you lost everything today for whatever reason, yeah. you would still be open to management deals.
1: Yeah, look, that's the beauty. I haven't you know. When when people tell me or want their want my advice about whether they should leave and start their own company and go out on their own, I'm like, in hospitality, I'm like, look, man, I could lose everything tomorrow and I could go get a job as the general manager of an Outback Steakhouse. Yeah. And I could I could have a fucking job. There's always gonna be an opportunity okay. for you. So there's nothing wrong with an Outback Steakhouse, by the way. I just I don't know why I always use that reference, but I do. But it's just the idea that like, look he, Hospitality always needs good people, so for me it, it relieves me a little bit the stresses it 's like if everything blows up in my face it 's like look, I can always go get a job right so i 'm not worried about that but the contract work is fun and I tell you i 'll tell you why we can get into the reason why I took that contract job and it. and why I wanted it so bad be- or I wanted to do it I find it to be very lonely at the top. Mm. And I don't say the top as in like I'm at the top of the game, but like the top as in when you're when you're an owner and you're on your own, it's very lonely.
0: Yeah, you're t- you're touching on a subject that's actually like near and dear to my heart right now. But finish your
1: training. Yeah, it. so it's like so when I had this opportunity to arise and Jake called me, he goes, "Hey, would you be interested in helping us out?" Like da da da. I was excited because I got to sit around a table of like-minded people, executives. Owners, and we were able to open this place up together, and I like that camaraderie. And when you don't have that, and in in my company now, I'm building that. Like I have, I have my, you know, my, I have Susan, I have Deidre, I have the team that's around me. That are like minded, so I'm building that. But at this point, when I only had Pokey and JBC, it was just me. You know what I mean? And me and hourly employees. Yeah.
0: So Who we got to like, talk to yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the, the reason why this is... sorry, do you want?
1: To, no, no, do want no, to that's it. Up? So that was kind of like the real reason that I was like, I wanted it, and it wasn't all about the money. It was like, no, I just wanted to be around other people. That, right. You know. So we had
0: restaurants... We still, we still have restaurant unstoppable network, and I and uh, restaurant unstoppable network was born out of the pandemic because. I was actually, in the beginning of 2020, I was making moves in my life to be able to do what I'm doing now, mm-hmm. which is being able to live on the road, travel the country, and interview 100% on-site interviews. Yeah. January 2020, I moved to Austin, Texas. Uh, they're starting to kick <laughs> us out. The, li- the lights just got dim. I got to make sure the cameras don't need to be readjusted. Um, so uh, moved to, to Austin. Pandemic happens. I can't travel. To, I moved to Austin because it was in the middle of the country, I got yeah, to yeah. either seacoast sea coast in like a day. Yeah. Um that obviously didn't happen, but anyway, the pandemic starts the network because i'm in one spot and i've always had this vision to start community around a restaurant unstoppable. and for the longest time during the pandemic we're doing live workshops live lectures and those live workshops and lectures became the podcast mm-hmm. so it was kind of how i pivoted and adapted to the pandemic and we and we were growing we got up to like over 200 people on the network at one point which is a pretty good amount of people that are coming together sharing knowledge and supporting each other um but then I started to miss what I always wanted to do. 2022 is rolling around; the world's back open again, and I'm like, "Shit!" I'm like, "I'm trapped in all these digital events." And really, what I want to be doing is hitting the road, sitting across the table from people, being in their restaurants, and just like that's just, that's just me. Yeah. So I, I I dialed back and I said, "I'm still going to do the network, but I'm going to do less live events." And I, I'm so what I ended up doing was coffee with Eric was one of the things I did for oh, and I cool. found out I'm, this is a really convoluted big circle. <laughs> I'm finally getting around to it. But what I realized was I felt guilty because I, I didn't feel like I was giving people what I had started giving them the live workshops access to my guests uh, Q&A and all these other things. Uh, but somebody said something to me like I, I love the coffee with Eric because I, I'm low. It's lonely at the top and it's great to be able to have a place and go and just talk yeah just yeah. just say what's what i'm feeling and have a group of people receiving what i'm saying and understanding and offering perspective and yeah. speaking my language and there's so much value in that uh and i didn't realize it until i was i was on a phone call with kyle and sarah who's another restaurant business podcaster uh closed mondays i don't know if you're familiar uh, with this sure. he's doing no. a great job um and we were just talking yeah, and like we were just like we we're like it was like a week before coming out to the, the to the the show here in, in Chicago. We we're just catching up, and like, and I have had a lot of stress on my shoulders recently, just with all this change, and just having somebody to be like, oh, this is what's happening. Yeah, yeah, is so valuable, <laughs> and I didn't realize it. And when I when I had after getting off the phone with Kyle, I was like, holy shit, this is what Sean was talking about. Yeah, Sean. Um, um, Sorry, Sean Lyons uh, from Germantown Cafe in Nashville. I don't know okay. if you if you're ever in that area. But I am. I am. Yeah. Sean's an awesome dude. I'd love to. know okay. If you're ever yeah. looking to meet more restaurant people, what's going through mine as I'm saying this?
1: Yeah. No. I mean, it hits it hits a nerve because it definitely like it it is. Exactly that, and yeah. I think a, there's probably a lot of restaurateurs that feel that same way, yeah. and they find themselves, you know, it's, it's just a lonely business when you're working in that. So, I mean, we've I've been trying to, you know, find ways around it, you know, hiring people, bringing on people with the with within my company that speak my language, talk to me. And also like what we try to do is I have a couple buddies that own restaurant groups and, and I just try to talk to them more. You know what I mean? Not as, not as in a mentor aspect, but just as more like a buddy, a friend, you know what I mean? Because it's like, we, we wake up every day. This is all I work on. I wake up every day and I work on the venues and right. my company and it's my life. And I think like, other restaurateurs are the same way and I think you know to go have a beer with my whether I'm talking about Mark Falsetto my buddy and like we you know just to just to catch up on the phone or at the gym like just to talk to him it's like it's relieving because you can just kind of like talk shop right and I think we need that you know
0: yeah for sure so I mean if, if you guys if this is something if you're, if you're like shaking your head yeah I need this I want people <laughs> to talk to uh, the network's coming back in June yeah uh, awesome. we we, uh, we found a community manager and that's That's really like what that I think that needed. So if you're listening to this and this sounds familiar, like come check out the network. Reach out to me if you want to scope it out first. I'm happy to get you guys in there with a like a trial run. But uh, it is just it's it's there's a lot of value in just talking to
1: people. Well, just listening to you, like listening to your podcast. There's a couple other that I listen to, um, and they they always put me in a good mood because you're hearing other people's stories yeah. like it's 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 you're helpful. not alone yeah yeah and I think that's what it is and I think that's with any entrepreneurial you know mindset it's it's tough you yeah know? yeah
0: I'm not gonna lie when when um when we first connected I was working with your publicist uh, and she was talking for you should you know uh, Memphis is a huge fan of the show and I was like
1: blah blah, blah. <laughs> okay
0: he's probably never listened to it and I, I'm surprised you know and I'm flattered that you yeah man, to the show, man. Thank yeah
1: you I've listened to some great ones that that I, it's crazy because I feel like you you get some great guests that people might not know yeah. and that like it's not like okay it's intentional yeah and it, and I think that's awesome because a lot of these podcasts it's like they're getting you know they gotta get the Danny Meyer and the you know it's like okay great which obviously everyone there's Their stories Danny. have been told a million yeah, exactly. times already too. so it's like I was listening to one on the way here um, about the I can't remember. Muffin drop? No it was the one some guy opened a pokey place and then had like was like pokey something or something and he has like 16 of them now and it's like uh he, was he asian yeah i think so uh, yeah he has like seven, a noodle place noodle place and seven like Chan. yeah 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 atlanta yeah. yeah and and i was like i would have never known who that guy was you know what i mean yeah. but like his story was awesome like it was just so Ooh. unique the way that he built the company and the and how fast it's grown i, I like,
0: started noticing that every podcast that existed in the restaurant space had the same exact guests uh, and uh. i was like huh hmm, that seems like the, the you know the media is like not my like media like restaurant yeah podcast media but the the bigger like publicists that have the connections yeah yeah of are, course are yeah, steering yeah, yeah for the sure for and sure. i was like so i i take very few like publicists yeah. outreach unless i i look into it i'm like oh
1: yeah, so it's super like, cool. I think the, the way that you're doing this is is awesome. That's why I have you, my guests call people out. You get that's, a good, <laughs> you get a good insight on on other people that you might not know unless you lived in Atlanta. Unless you, you know what I well, mean. You don't know.
0: Here's the other thing. No disrespect to Danny Meyer. Yeah,
1: <laughs> he's accomplished amazing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. things.
0: But opening a restaurant in 2023 isn't the same as opening a restaurant in 1996.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's the true. The game has yeah. changed yeah. so much. Yeah.
0: So talking to somebody like Pinky Cole, yeah. who Opened to her ghost kitchen in 2018 before ghost kitchens were even a thing. Yeah. And seeing how she scaled her multi million dollar organization from a, a website and an Instagram account. Yeah, that's crazy. Man. You know, yeah. like that's the kind of shit yeah, yeah. that like people like, but you're not going to hear that from Thomas Keller. Yeah, and not to say Thomas Keller's approach is wrong, yeah. <laughs> but you're saying. That, but the point is, there's multiple perspectives. There's there's for more sure. than one way. And when you when you offer more than one way, more than one perspective to the listeners, they get to choose the way that makes the most sense for them, their strengths, and their resources. Yeah.
1: Well, also, I think what you said, like we can talk about Thomas Keller and Danny, like these guys. But like at the end of the day, like right now to open a restaurant, there's so many ways to do it and go about it. And I think when you're bringing in guests that are creative and di- br- doing it a different way, I think that's what people want to hear about because, yeah. I, like other options, because not everyone can go and raise a million bucks. Right. Not every, but like I just said, I opened JB and C on seventy five thousand dollars and it does a million eight a year. I
0: also wouldn't recommend everybody go raise a million dollars.
1: Yeah, start with a pop up. Yeah. Start with a ghost kitchen. Yeah, raise
0: five hundred dollars yeah yeah and let the cash flow determine your growth get proof of get proof of concept before you bury yourself in debt yeah so know? i
1: think there's so many ways and i think bringing in those more unique people that have been successful in different ways is such an awesome thing to thank, hear, you, you know? thank you thank so. you i
0: appreciate that it's not every day i get to have somebody on the show who's familiar with my work yeah. <laughs> you know so pardon my uh self-indulgent over here um so 2019 we talked about Dalmar. Uh, we haven't talked about Joy- I'm, Joya if I say, Joya, thank you. Joya Beach. Joya Beach. Uh, that was just before 2020. We're doing a little social media action yeah, right yeah. now. Smile for the camera, selfie action, but bam, I'll reshare that. Uh, so 2020, Big Brother again. That was during the pandemic?
1: Yeah, so I got contracted to open Joya Beach, which is a beach club in Miami. A couple of partners, old partners of mine were opening it, at Chris Pacello, Mio Delanovich. And so I jumped on that project, another opening. That was one of the hardest openings I've never done. And I always say, you think after so many that they'd be
0: pretty easy.
1: We built, we had to, it was a protected piece of property, piece of land on the water. We couldn't run plumbing. We couldn't run, like, it was crazy. We had to build an offsite kitchen, like crane it in to the sand because we couldn't push it on the sand. Like it lifted up. We had to close the MacArthur Causeway to do this at five in the morning. Wow. And you know, there's a hundred thousand dollar, hundred and fifty thousand dollar kitchen, like a hundred feet up in the air. Like just, Hopefully li- it wasn't windy. <laughs> yeah. It was gnarly, <laughs> but just the whole process of creating that, that beach club and the full kitchen and, and running water and like how we, everything had to be off pumps. And it was nuts, man. It was just, it was crazy. Super successful. Uh, Did really well, still open now, uh, but another contract work, kind of opening, and, you know, I love to do that shit, So, but did that, and then same time, COVID hit, crazy, shut everything down, and then Big Brother called again, and honestly, I would not have been on that show again if it wasn't because of COVID.
0: That's one way to quarantine.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, Yeah. So, it was kind of like, hey, like... I mean, everything's kind of closed. Shit, I so might as well. PR's done
0: stunt for you too. Not to say like you know I'm gonna call it a stunt, but at the same time, it's like
1: you know like yeah, you're trying no.
0: to drive business to like your brands. Yeah, you know. No. like there's something to be you've, you've said From about that. From that
1: mindset, it definitely you know helped and definitely a lot of recognition. And it's something that like I'm kind of just in it now to be honest with you because I keep asking my publicists of like, hey, at what point does a headline not read? Big Brother All Star opens another restaurant. Like, when does it just become Memphis Garrett? The restaurant tour opens another restaurant. (laughs) I don't know if I'm ever gonna get that away from my title, but (laughs) I think it's just there. So sorry to bring it up. Yeah, no, 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 it's all good. I I brought it up to her, and she's like, "Just, just you might as well just ride it at this point." It's catching. Yeah, yeah. So
0: it catches attention. Uh, For me, what
1: did it was the SBE
0: Yeah. Experience. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this, and then how fast you're growing now? I was like, oh. I was like, he's doing some stuff. Well,
1: it's interesting because it's like I went on that show because it was a game and it was an opportunity to win money. And I and I played it like that. That was why I was there. I wasn't there for fame. This I wasn't your PPE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't there to like get famous. I wasn't there to any like, be, you know, become an actor or anything like that. It was more I was there because I wanted to play the game, yeah, and win money. How
0: far did you make it that
1: season? Second place the I first guess. time, and then fourth, fifth place the, the Out second. Out of How many? Uh, Sixteen. That's pretty good, man. Yeah, I got my. I found my wife on the second one. There so. you
0: go. <laughs> nice. So, um, how did this did this help your business? You think taking the time during the pandemic to to get that you know, to try to win that money, but to also get that public publicity, did that help? I
1: think there were, I think it definitely helped when I think people like that story. When I'm raising capital, when I'm going into new markets, when I'm opening a new place, I think the idea that I was on CBS, I was on two seasons of a reality TV show and I did well, I think it helps. It doesn't hurt by any means. so I think it does, you know, help in having a little notoriety in that mindset. I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, uh, we we found ourselves in a couple different predicaments I'll tell you with being on the show and social media and Yelp reviews and all that because
0: oh, people just think oh he's just yeah we you know, had to freeze
1: we... all the accounts. Yelp yeah. had to freeze all the accounts yeah because if I do a move in the game and I you know I have to backstab someone and kick them out of the house and like and say that person had a lot of crazy fans then my Yelp is gonna get blo- got blown up by that Wow, so it's an interesting and and I think show, all That's shows are so all, <laughs> I know all shows are different right so like some reality shows have like psychotic fans and Big Brother is one of those ones that there are crazy fans where yeah. they it's religiously they religiously watch it it's cra- like it's very intense to yeah. them. So we saw it, and like they had to freeze all the accounts. Uh, It was nuts. Like, and I didn't know it was happening because I have no. Like, when you're in the house, you don't know. I'm just
0: trying to play a game. Yeah, and you
1: don't know what's going on in the outside world. So it was just our my team. When I got out, they're like, "Yo, we have to tell you this. Like, all the accounts Yelp had to freeze them all because we got like after one of the shows on a Thursday night, we got like 79 one star reviews. Oh my gosh! Like. people suck
0: dude it's like i hate that companies like yelp can have uh, that much power over your yeah it's it's
1: frustrating man we need
0: to we need to to decentralize i don't know yeah
1: (laughs) look it's all a game it's all a business right google it's it is i i have my own thoughts on all of that and what is it i look this is my theory it's like if you have a place that gets that that has 5,000 reviews and they're all one stars that place probably sucks like it's probably not very good but also
0: yeah. any place that have 5,000 reviews <laughs> and they're still in business something's okay, something, okay. something's yeah. off yeah. you
1: know but my point being is like the truth will come out over time yeah, right I got you. but I don't like the idea that now it's a, it's a business and they, they basically built this app you know they try to present it as like oh this is good for because we help people find food and then all of a sudden they're like okay well now you have to pay now you can yeah. <laughs> you know all this jazz I, and that's my theory, and I think I think it's gotten better. To be honest with you, I don't think people at, yeah. are on Yelp as much and Google as much and 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 reviewing as much. But I wake up every day and I get re- review alerts, and it I either start off my day very well or I start off my day pissed off. <laughs>
0: but I mean, that's that also right there is a testament to how unhealthy it is. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like oh my gosh, like you wake up and the first thing you're reading is like you suck. Yeah, yeah, like oh, come on, I yeah, just woke yeah. up. It kind of or, reminds me of that that uh, Taylor Swift song. Like,
1: <laughs> which one? Oh, she has a song
0: where it's just like like throwing shade. Oh, like, you gotta calm down. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway,
1: so yeah, it, it's tough, and and I give credit to like my chefs, like Gaston and Chef Austin and Shane, and like I look, chefs are they they, they cook and they plate it and they put it out there for everyone to fucking judge, and like that's. Crazy to me, like I mean, it really is. If right. you really look at the emotional like mindset yeah. of that, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, I mean, it's th- that's a lot. So, I
0: mean, my mindset on it is you got to be a part of those platforms, but ideally, you shouldn't be the one posting. I Any, mean, I mean, yeah, some people will say no. It needs to be real. It needs to come from the per- from the person. And I get that that hits harder, but at the same time, like you can't expect it to be everywhere. You can't expect yeah. it to. It, it, and this is what I've learned. Like, It's the great game of business. If that's the game you want to play and you're good at that, then stay in your lane and do that. But don't, Ever fucking tell me that everybody in the world has to do that? Yeah, if we we live in a world where everybody has to do that, then I don't like that's not that's not a diverse world. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, like some people are good at it, some people aren't good at it. If you're not good at it, contract have somebody follow you around and share your story for you. Yeah, and I and I recommend not being plugged into the comments because it's not going to be good for your mental health. And we were never meant to have that much, people coming at us from yeah yeah.
1: it's a very yeah and it comes off and again like I think there's a way to well first of all if people have by on their computer right because I'm a big component of telling my managers and and coaching them to being like guys I'm over if here so,
0: dropping F-bombs and you're talking to the clients I'm proud if <laughs> someone's having
1: a bad experience in the restaurant yeah. you should know it and you right. could probably see it if you're in tune with what's happening in the restaurant you can see it on their face you can see it on you know but weirdly, guests won't say anything. Yeah. But then they go home, and then they say it, and it's like, what the hell does that help? Right. That doesn't help that was anything. That's one of the reasons why I love Ovation.
0: I don't, are you familiar with Ovation, uh-huh. uh, Zach Oates? So one of my... Past and current sponsors, and this—I'm not saying this just because they're a sponsor, but it's a customer feedback, uh, and it just gives the customer an opportunity to give you feedback before they take that message home, yeah, and blow it up online. It's just—it's like a a way to get in front of it before.
1: Yeah, we do that with seven rooms too. So we send the email as soon as they leave, so they do it. It So it doesn't have to be ovation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's definitely helpful. But it's more or less like I want them to say something to the manager. I want them to say, "Hey, this was undercooked. Like here, let me make it better for you." We can't. We can't we can't win over your you and win over your experience if you're not saying hey i'm not i'm not i'm not a, like liking this yeah. or i'm not the experience isn't as good as i wanted to be. yeah yeah and i think that just goes back into our society where we're going and how like no one wants to talk to anyone and everything <laughs> wants to just message it to everyone and we're getting away from that one on one. And it's not even I don't find it confrontational. If some if I'm at the restaurant yeah. and someone's like, Hey, like this drink, I'm like, Oh, let me get you another one, man. I got you. Like, right. let, like what the fuck? It's fine. Like yeah. I'm not <laughs> I'm not yeah. pissed, annoyed, like you don't like it. You're yeah, paying money for it. It's you all good. Like, it. like yeah. so it's almost like the tone and the way that we go about that should never be like, Oh, this person's upset. No, let's make it let's make it right and let's right. do it with a smile and make you know, I always find those a bad experience or something happening to one of our guests is the opportunity to build a friendship and create a, a, a impactful moment if you don't have some mess up and i'll tell you the story of how this kind of came about i used to run nightclubs in la and you know things would happen in a nightclub a lot right? You know, whether it be fighting or this or the, you know crazy shit you know and I had to kick this guy out one night and he was just being an asshole. He like pushed somebody, whatever. He ended up being one of our best clients and one of my good friends. And it wasn't a matter of, you know, he was in the wrong, but like we had to go a certain way. And he's like, we're like screaming at each other about yeah. dumb shit outside. And it gave me the opportunity. If someone's yelling at your face, that barrier is not there anymore, right. right? So it gives you the open of saying, "Hey, let me talk to this guy like a you know, right? Like a person, uh, like a like <laughs> yell back at him, and it's all it's broken down the barrier, and you can really get to know someone really right. quickly. So all of a sudden, he's like, he's your best friend. So I think if someone has a bad experience in a restaurant, it is a the best opportunity. To become best buds with that person, yeah, it's not
0: for, like like I'm, I'm quoting Jane Meyer. You have the opportunity to write the end of the story. Yeah, bad yeah. things aren't the end of the story. The end of the story is what you do about it. Yeah, for sure. And the choice you make to do the right thing, right? Yeah. Um. So we haven't even started to talk about your newest concepts, but the cool thing is like it's all it all happened pretty fast, so we're almost caught yeah. up. I mean, <laughs> between 20, uh, 2021, Point Break, No Moss Land, and Yamas, uh, you have. Th- And you have more coming too, right? And I want to sell you short.
1: Yeah. So we have four, we have four active concepts. We have Lady May, Yamas, no man's land and point break. Lady May is the newest. Lady May is the newest. Yeah. And then we have different versions of all those. We're doing a no man's land in Miami in the hotel. So pool, terrace, uh, lobby bar. And then we're doing no man's land in Memphis, Tennessee, same pool, lobby, um, beer garden, actually there. And, um, and then we're doing Yamas West Palm Beach right now, almost done. Um, and what else do we have? We have another, the newest concept that's coming out. It's called Whaler's Catch, which that's the place that my mom used to work um, in Kentucky where she met my dad.
0: Okay, so it burned. It burned
1: down seven years ago. Okay, and I ended up getting the trademark for it.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: So I'm reopening it in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. So I'm reopening the brand. I mean, it's going to be a different brand, but the same name. So what's going
0: on today? Like what? what, Like where are the challenges? What's like. You open. You got a lot going on. You're yeah, you spread. You mentioned earlier. You're spread across multiple states, multiple yeah. cities.
1: I think right now it's it's finding finding um, good people that want to grow the company with you that that are willing and able and and want to be a part of something bigger. But what comes with that is I try to tell my my crew that this is a fucking startup, man. So you got to look at it like that, and and that's yeah. how I look at it. This yeah. is a startup. We're growing. We want to be at, you know, we want to get up to that 50 million revenue mark. That's where, you know, we become very, you know, people start looking at us when you when you start getting up to those numbers. Um, and that's our goal. And it's going to take a few years. But if we continue this consistency, then we will. And by yeah. the way. But it's finding good people that can look at it like that also. But when you work for a startup, shit, man, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And you're getting pulled in a hundred different directions. It's and a you're lot of having- risk.
0: It's a lot of work. Yeah. But there's usually more payout.
1: Yeah. yeah. So... So what and what I think is the payout is like you could be director of operations, you could be, you know, the executive chef. You could do, you know, there's so much growth, so you know, come come join me and let's do this. Um, that's probably the number one. You know, hiring people, getting, you know, people to invest their time, invest their, you know, their life into building something bigger than them and 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 looking at it as a startup where it's gonna be tough. It's not just I try to tell people, I'm like, this isn't the Houston's. It's not, we don't have everything buttoned up. We're growing. So we need, it's like we consistently have to continue to update the SOPs and change because as we evolve like that so fast. So that's one of the biggest things. And I think the second one is just capital. You know, when you're opening places like this, man, we blow through money, you know, because we're building. Well,
0: what I typically, I mean, one of my aha moments, and it's one of the, I don't know if this is a catchatory original, but cash flow and people determine growth. Yeah. Uh so there you go. are you finding that hard uh with trying to grow so aggressively when the people aren't there?
1: I think no, no, because it's all long term planning. So we map it out. So, you know, would it be great if all the revenue all the, the place that opened two months ago was doing double the amount of revenue? Yeah, that'd be great. But that's not realistic either. You know, it's 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 fine. We 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 have it planned. We're planned for that. Yeah. So
0: So I I love this conversation, man, for the record. It's been a lot of fun. I can't believe we're already an hour and 30 minutes into it. It goes by so fast. Yeah, it does. Uh, What haven't we discussed? Is there anything that you were hoping that would come to the table? Uh, I mean, any lessons, new lessons from these three recent openings that are, like, ringing uh, fresh?
1: I think, you know, I I feel like every opening I I learn something. And I think what we did with No Man's Land and Yamas, the last, like, two openings that we did, I think – we we focused on the details of everything. The you know whether it be the mints at the door that are branded, or the matchbooks, or the the custom teacups that you get the baju tea in, and like we really wanted to go detail because we were building those places for proof of concept. So when people came in, they're like, "Wow, this is a beautiful space," and the details are this and this and this. And we did that because we knew if those looked like that and they felt like that that it would open the door to other stuff. Yeah. And I'm sitting here now a year and a half later telling you that it did work mm-hmm. and that is what we did. And we didn't skimp on the details. We put more effort into the details so we could use it as like our shiny penny is like, Hey, look, this is what we could do in your hotel. This is what we could do. And, and it's actually, it worked, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I got to see your spots. Yeah, man. Uh, I can't wait to, to check them out on my travels for sure. That's one thing that stinks about doing these interviews and like, no <laughs> yeah. offense to the, the national restaurant association for hosting us here, But like, it's, it's, it's nice to get into the restaurant. Oh, for sure. You know, to to see what you're talking about. It's one thing. So I'll have to make some stops in my journeys to check out what you got going on. Um, So restaurant unstoppable's mission is to inspire empower, and transform the industry. Uh, you've definitely inspired us with your story. You've empowered us with your, your knowledge, paying it forward. But on this, this note of transformation, where we are now and where we need to head, where do you think the restaurant industry needs to head? How do we move into the future? Like what, what What's broken with the industry and how do we move into uh, the future
1: in a better direction? I think, I don't know if there's anything broken. I think uh, the evolution of of where restaurants are going and changing is changing drastically. And I think, Covid sped that up probably a good bit, but I think you know we're sitting here around we're surrounded by boosts on boosts of technology and products and and everything and like I think it stops and starts with people and I think I think we need to highlight more to the younger generation of the creative side that comes with being in a restaurant business whether it be working the line whether it be a bartender uh, the freedom, the, you know, the creativeness and, and just like, I think showing that to the younger generation where it's like, Hey, this is a trade, you know, but I feel like it's dying. Like, it's like, it's like that, that saying where like no one's going to be an electrician anymore. Right. It's, what
0: incentive is there for people to get into this industry right now?
1: Well, what I, what I find, and when I tell my story to to kids in college at hospitality schools is there's no way I'm sitting at a desk. There's no way I'm working for some you know, huge company where I'm going in and hitting an elevator and, and literally at the coffee, you know getting a coffee with the people in the office and shit like that. Like My brain doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. So in a world where I feel like there's so many ADD and ADHD kids and like, like I said, I look at it as a superpower for me. Like For me, I can't see myself ever not working in hospitality because that's how I am. Because I'm, you know, my brain is wired different. So for me, I think we need to highlight and find those people and those kids and those, you know, when they're growing up and say, hey, this is this is a career for you. Like you would, you would. You know, what people think is like a learning disability, it's actually for for this industry, it's not. It's the opposite. It's like, this is where you shine. I would
0: love to get some data. Yeah.
1: I agree. I, I'm so
0: I'm colorblind, dyslexic, ADHD. Uh, and I've noticed that I, I talk to a lot of people who are a lot like me. Yeah. You know, as, as successful restaurateurs. Yeah. And I think that I would love to see if there's any correlation to support this idea of uh, like people who tend to be less book smart. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, like the. Like you think of kids that do well in school tend to be the technicians and the managers. Yeah. You know, and then the entrepreneurs are the kids that are like, is it recess yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I'm yeah. ready to, like, is it lunchtime? Like, let's socialize.
1: Look, there's something to that. And I think if we can um, highlight it and identify it and, and be able to push those kids into a field that make makes them better and successful. You know, so right. I think it's educating them that like this is. I mean, I don't know if they even do this in schools. Do they do? I mean, the fact that they should be doing like they should do cooking lessons in school, like, yeah, like home ec, yeah, but like fuck home ec. Like but I'm that, talking about like a proper like, like knife proper ec. knife skills and shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like hey, <laughs> come prep for an hour. You know what I mean? Like that's what they should teach. Yeah, and you know, I think there's something to that. I think that's a, in, where
0: does that what has to happen in order for that to happen?
1: Yeah. I don't know, I think identifying that that we obviously have something going on with more kids you know having these these I don't call them disabilities, but these these certain traits, yeah, let's highlight those traits and put them you know, show them like, hey, you know, you're not an idiot.
0: well, the thought that I was having before is, and I didn't come out and say it, but I think that people who don't do well in traditional standardized school settings um tend to have skill sets that don't serve them well in school yeah. i.e. social and emotional intelligence i so the come full circle i want to know if there's any correlation between kids who don't do well academically but succeed in life are people who are adhd dyslexic all this stuff do they tend to be higher in social and emotional intelligence is there oh. some kind of give and take where i might not have a lot of technical ability but in my brain i'm making up for that space that real estate is yeah. being used and the 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 plane, the brain is plastic, and there, there's evidence to show that people who like play the guitar or like are like violinists have like the areas of their brain that are devoted to like that that cognitive skill needed to uh, like, do that job takes up more space. Yeah, right. So like the I think we we're learning so much about the brain and its plastic, plasticity, plasticity that i wonder if if there is a correlation between people who are not book smart being more emotionally socially intelligent
1: yeah i mean it's it probably i mean i'm sure if someone's listening out there they might know the answer but i'd yeah. love to know yeah. if there's any yeah. data
0: on that please let me know because i would love to do like an episode on that um i had another thought that i wanted to bring what were we just talking about school. school school going and just somewhere. just just
1: teaching the youngest but oh, the what has to happen? Yeah. Um,
0: I don't think, I wonder when you, if you're a child or a young person looking at what career do I want to take, you don't think there's a lot of security. There's security in the restaurant industry if you always want a job. Yeah. Right? For sure. But there's not a lot of fiscal security in the restaurant industry right now, but there can be and there should be. So what has to change for that to happen?
1: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, the rates and stuff and what people pay and like we've, I mean, we, look, we pay so much more than we were paying three years ago you know and i think that's fine and i'm not you know i i come from the mindset of if you do your job well you're not going to hear from me right you know when it comes to giving you a raise or in that like that's i'm all about that right um but yeah i don't know i mean i think that's an interesting interesting thing i don't i don't know if if I I think if you have a skill set and if, whether it's knife skills or prep or cooking or whatever, and like you don't have to be in a, you know a chef you know to where you're creating menus and stuff, but if you can run a line, I mean that's job security to me. Yeah, there's you definitely know? job
0: security. There's no lack of opportunity yeah. in this. Group, Same best, thing with
1: sure. g- like general managers. If you if you have the skills to run a floor and run the room as a general manager, and you know how to read a P and L, and you can control cost, and you can hire people and train people. That job, I mean i I would hire three right now if right. if I could. Right, and like I think that's just me. And I have a small company, so you can imagine these big companies. So that's something, and you can make a way over six figures as a general manager. Yeah. So
0: I think it's just a matter of educating the consumer and letting them know that like we need to charge more money. Because we mm-hmm. want to be taken seriously, and guess what? You still want to go out to eat, motherfucker. Yeah. So pay up. And I think we need to do it. We need to do it collectively. You know, like yeah. stop undercutting each other because that's what got us into this mess. Yeah. Is saying, hey, I'm going to beat the guy down the street by offering a dollar less on my my. I'm not going to do menu engineering. I'm going to do. It's uh, interesting. It,
1: <laughs> so I have this thing where when I'm doing a menu and we're we're pricing and everything, obviously we go you know percentage wise to start, and then. I go, I sit with the team, and I'm like, show me the portion, make me the dish, and then tell me how much you think. Just you think, not a fucking percentage. Just tell me what you think we should charge for this. And put yourself in our customer's shoes. Maybe the portion needs to be a little bit bigger. Maybe the the zero, you know, the the plate needs to get smaller. Right. Maybe there's so many value. things that we can adjust to make sure that that guest does not feel ripped off with what they're paying. Now, do we, you know, make the make the portion a little bit bigger and charge 5 more dollars? I don't know. Tell me what that price is and let me see it and let's sit here and think about if we were that customer. Put yourself in our customer situation and then we'll price it accordingly. You know, and then we'll go to the percentage and make sure it makes sense. But that's how I think we should do it. that's how I do it to make sure that because you never know, man. It's like It's it's tough and you don't know how people are reacting, right? Right. And yes, I do think that like, you know, we could charge more. And everything's getting more expensive. Shit, man. Our food costs, like, it's it's been drastically going up, you know, over the past few few years. And lately it's it's high, man. Yeah. So we gotta bump up the prices. But at the same time, it's like, is your customer I have a theory where, like, I would rather, you know, the customer come back three times a week and spend less than come back once a week and spend more. Mm. And the reason being is, like you said, it's like, the customer that's always coming—that's the person we want, man. I, yeah. I want—I want the person coming as much eighty as
0: the, twenty. 80 between, well, you can tell, this is the end of my long year.
1: Eighty percent of your
0: revenue comes from twenty percent of your, your guests. Yes. You so know, uh, the eighty twenty rule shows up everywhere. I've really loved today's conversation. Yeah, dude. me too, man. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. We need to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we're gonna come back and bust out a speed round. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often: Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting. with accuracy checklist budgeting for the entire year scheduling for profit more butts and seats and that's not it often the team at restaurant systems pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks i mean it's hard out there but because of that a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game for that reason there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash R-S-P. That's R-S-P for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash R-S-P. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, habit, or, trait, or characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, my personality. What is your biggest weakness? my personality. (laughs) What do you mean by that? And and it comes up all the time where your biggest strength is your biggest weakness. Yeah. I
1: I think, uh, look, I'm over the top and sometimes I, you know, I put my foot in my mouth sometimes. I get that.
0: I'm right there with you, man. I think we're cut from the same cloth. Yeah. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team? Um, just work ethic. What is your biggest challenge today?
1: Uh, funding. How are you overcoming it? Um, constant meetings, constant new promote or new, uh, new partners, new investments, meetings, G- meetings, the meetings. Word out there. yeah. Anybody want to throw some money? Yeah. Hey, it's, Memphis it's interesting life? because it, it's the more like the more people I ask and the more people I get, it's an opportunity for people. I'm growing this company exponentially and, and that's something that like, I don't like to raise capital. No. I'm weirdly good at it, Spending but
0: any money's fun <laughs> making it.
1: I'm weirdly good at raising capital, but. I don't like to. It's not like one of my like way. like things that I enjoy. Yeah, you know? yeah. So. I hear you. Uh,
0: what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? A, a way to be, a way to act, a core value.
1: Um, one of our core, va- I think it's uh, uniqueness. So for me, it's like I don't like scripts. So I want people to be them. I I don't hire, I hire off personality and we can teach the rest because you can't teach someone a personality. I love it. I tried. What <laughs> is
0: one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Something that's common within the four walls of your establishments, not common throughout the hospitality industry.
1: Mm, that's a good one. Um, I think something that we do is we break down that barrier of customer and employer. So, I always tell our crew, like our servers, our bartenders, I go, my goal for you is to, I want you to our customers to become your friends. Mm, I like that.
0: What is one book that's a must-read to make a better
1: pers- person or restaurant owner? Well, I think, I mean, we talked about them earlier, so I think setting the table is yeah. obviously... Yeah. I usually, sometimes I say, <laughs> read, I you got to pick,
0: I, for a while, I didn't let people use that but Really? Another one, because it was oh. always everyone's go-to.
1: Well, I... I've read it so many times yeah. because it's one of those it, like it 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 re- you know what I do fuck the books because I I I don't read like oh, I cancer. mean I I listen so yeah. audiobooks. um audio books but I'll tell you I have a weird thing that I do before I open every restaurant I watch three movies <laughs> Same movies? Yeah. What are they? Uh Burnt Chef and I think what's it called the restaurant 300 feet or the restaurant 300 feet away or 300 steps or something it's the one about the the french countryside okay. michelin star restaurant yeah. and then the indian family that moves in next door that is a good movie so i watched those three movies every time i'm opening a new restaurant and what are you trying to do it just kind of like i've done it so many times like it just kind of re-sparks my like like passion passion yeah. and like my, my my adrenaline and like just kind of gives me back to square one of like, fuck yeah, I love yeah, I love what I do. It's a little reminder because you, yeah. you get lost, man. You get lost in the grind, and I have a tough time thinking about how far I've come, and I don't do it enough. I don't right. think about about it enough, and I should. I you love know. that, man. What is
0: a uh, one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough?
1: I don't think. I don't think they travel enough. Now hear me out. So, I started traveling a lot a few years ago and my mindset changed completely in hospitality. So now I try to travel a ton. Europe, where wherever. I've been all over the world, but like it 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 definitely like pushes the boundaries of my mind and opens me up. I, fi- I know guys all the time they don't. They don't do that. Right. They just in the grind and I'm like, "Dude, go travel. It will change the way that you Get think about stuff." Yeah. yeah. Uh
0: also, I mean, traveling until like Third world countries or second world countries too, and just seeing how they do things. Oh yeah, like, we get it backwards sometimes. Yeah, like we <laughs> might be the, the quote unquote first world country, but like being in Thailand and like oh, seeing man. the level of like community that's there and like the like, markets can we just say
1: and- the. The best, I think, in the world. I love time. hospitality. Oh my gosh. In the world, I, I, they, show me different. They live in
0: 10 buildings and they'll give you anything. Like they have s- not anything they have to give you. If they right. have to give it to you, they, they just give it to yeah. you. Yeah, I just
1: have never experienced hospitality like that. Where yeah. they're just they're there to serve you, like yeah. serve you, like yeah. literally, like that is. And look, they're they're working at a hotel or a restaurant yeah. or whatever, but like they literally, you know, they feel it. You feel right. it. They're like right. For sure. Uh,
0: what is one piece of technology you've recently adopted within the four walls of your restaurant that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Ugh. That's, how, that's how I feel about technology.
1: Yeah, I. you know, <laughs> I, I was having a conversation with another buddy who owns restaurants, and we were gonna going to go over some new stuff with some, like, inventory control stuff, and we're trying to find something that can monitor the purchases on a daily basis that either the bar managers or the chefs are ordering. For cash flow purposes. So basically saying, okay, if you're ordering $400 worth of meat today and that invoice came in today, like we did, you know, $400 in revenue and meat yesterday, like, what the fuck are you ordering? Like, it has to make sense. Like, so... What happens is people will get lazy and they're ordering for the week, and all of a sudden, but they don't realize like that invoice has to be paid soon, so where the fuck's that money coming from? You know what right, i mean so right. so we were just talking about the like kind of like how that cash flow i I'm, I'm probably talking about that I'm sure there's something here that. <laughs> <laughs> as we walk around this this convention <laughs> systems pro yeah, yeah, my yeah, yeah. yeah like looking around yeah. so but i think some kind of system like that that can hold um the chefs and the bar managers and gms accountable on a daily basis and get them to understand the cash flow aspect Dude, of that
0: i recorded a step-by-step course with rudy mick who's a world-renowned consultant hmm. uh i can't remember exactly how he, i think i read a book and he was the consultant in that book of Restaurant tour, I had on the show, uh, but it, he goes through inventory management like a, th- his daily process for inventory management. He shares the whole thing, right. you should check
1: yeah. It out. I gotta check it out, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, all right, we're at the end of the interview. Wait, did you ever recommend a technology or did you just say you need a technology?
1: No, I said I need one, okay. I, like <laughs> nothing we're using right now is anything like crazy. I mean, we're very like, I mean, we're very Excel sheet driven company at this point, yeah. Uh,
0: I think Restaurant Assistance Pro would be a great company for you to check out. Uh, for sure, and I'm not just saying that because they're my sponsor. They're good people. Uh, but let, let's go to the last question because it's a doozy. Okay. <laughs> if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurant would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three
1: pieces of wisdom be? Oh man, that's that's heavy. Um. I kind of like always think about this, like this, this ideology or this idea that like, we're don't what is it? Don't live to work, or not work to live. Whatever, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, don't. So basically, live to the work, like, work dude, to live. I fucking like, I love what I do. So if there's any advice or anything that that I would like to leave is the idea of like, make sure that you do some if you. If you love what you do, you'll never work in your life. And that's how I truly believe. I truly feel that way. So is that
0: two separate things? Don't live to work, work to live. If you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. And what's the third one?
1: Drink the drink, eat the food. Drink
0: the drink, eat the food. I've loved today's conversation, my man. Thank you so much. And um, we find the majority of our guests, this is really what I want to be Restaurant Unstoppable's uh, North Star. Uh, who do you respect and admire in the industry? If there's somebody I got as a guest on the show, somebody you think I need to talk to who has perspective, who has knowledge, who can empower our listeners, who is that person
1: for you? Ooh. There is a guy. That taught me P&Ls and finance. His name's Afshin, and he was the CFO. I can send you his info, but he was the CFO of SB for a really long time. And when I came and started working with the company and started having to deliver P&Ls and actually review them and 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 deliver them to the board and stuff like that, like I didn't know shit, man. Yeah. I didn't know shit. And when it came to that kind of stuff, and he took me under his wing and he literally sat with me and taught me how to read a PNL, what to look for. And yeah, I mean, I still talk to him to this day. And like, yeah. he, he's so smart. And, you know, he, uh, yeah, that was just something. Where's he that, based? Uh, Los Angeles.
0: Ashton, look out. I'm coming. Is that right? Ashton. Ashton. Action Look out. I'm coming after (laughs) you. I'd love to have you on the show. And you said he was the CFO of SBE. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to get you on the show. And uh, if you enjoyed today's episode... Today's episode is 100 in – sorry, 106. 1,006. Whoa. Head over to com slash 1006. We'll have a summary of today's discussion over there as well as how to connect with Memphis. Memphis, what is your contact information if people want to connect? Maybe they're looking to come join your team.
1: Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, my uh, easiest way is social media, Memphis Garrett, across the board, on IG, Twitter, Facebook. And you can just email me, Memphis at Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, H-G.com. Awesome. And uh, just
0: thank you again for taking an thank you, show, awesome, friend, and, and awesome. making the show, my friend, and making it up here to Chicago to join me for this, this interview. Uh, there is no questioning, my friend. You are <laughs> unstoppable. Awesome. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Memphis Garrett, for coming on, getting vulnerable, sharing your story, and empowering the industry. It was great to have you. And I also want to say special thanks to the National Restaurant Association for hosting us this year at the show, letting us record into Restaurant Systems Pro for letting us use your booth to record these interviews. Awesome stuff. So if you're enjoying this podcast as we eclipse a thousand episodes, uh you know We're evolving, we're getting more serious, we're getting more intentional. And uh, really, what, as we go into the future, the podcast is the leading edge. We're out there doing the, the research, turning over rocks, looking for clues, and then we're going to be unpackaging these clues and these things, these artifacts uh, at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And uh, some of the things we're going to be focusing on straight out of the gates is the foundational stuff for you. And for your business, behind every great restaurant's a great person. The journey starts with you. So we're going to be talking about things like mindfulness, like becoming a better listener, and the habit, uh, and understanding these things, so you can develop these habits and you can live intentionally as you go forward. We're also going to be talking about the foundational things for your business, the things that you should set up before you ever open, like having some type of process for communication and moving information and energy around your business. That's i.e. EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. You need systems in place from day one. Uh, we're also going to have profit-first systems. So you're making sure you're paying yourself, making sure you're paying the IRS, and making sure you're allocating cash where you need to and letting cash flow determine your growth. Uh, if these things sound interesting to you, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 1006. Today's show notes. We're going to have a banner in the show notes and uh, a link to get a 30-day trial to the network. So you can go scope it out, see if it's something you're interested in and before truly really committing Uh, And that will get you into the first couple workshops as well. Plus, the first 50 people to sign up for the network are going to get a free shirt. And if you choose the annual option, we're going to throw in a hat. And a mug. Now's the time to sign up. Let's be be a part of our minimal viable product. Be a part of influencing the future of this thing. We're really fielding questions and ideas of how we can best serve you from our network members. That's you. So uh, special thanks to the people who make this show possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi at Sumadre Podcast for the copyright in editing. Uh, thank you to Anna Tazen over at The Good Kind for executive counsel and support. And thank you to Callan Miola for becoming our community manager and helping us take this thing to the next level. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.